When we hear the words death march, we think rightly of that terrible atrocity in Bataan. But they call it a death march because of the way they died. If you stopped on the road, you were killed. If you had a malaria attack, they killed you. If you had to stop to defecate, they killed you. If you just couldn't take another step, they killed you. And how did they kill you? They'd either bayonet you to death, shoot you, or in some cases decapitate you. No one knows for sure how many died in that long, 100-plus kilometer walk from Bataan to Pampanga before the starved, exhausted survivors were loaded onto trains bound for the prison camp in Tarlac. Casualty estimates range from anywhere between 5 to 10,000 deaths among the Filipino soldiers and 650 deaths in the American side. My grandfather was one of the lucky survivors. Up to now, we still have the army-issued canteen that helped keep him alive during that traumatic journey. But among the mountain of evidence submitted to the Tokyo war crimes trials held after the war, a military commission listed two death marches in the record of atrocities committed by the Japanese military in the Philippines. The first we already know, the one in Bataan, a war crime so terrible that it's now practically synonymous with the phrase. But there was also a second death march. Prosecutors in the International Military Tribunal called it the Iligan Death March. Survivors also called it by other names, like the Dansalan Death March or the Mindanao Death March. It only lasted a day and involved a much smaller number of prisoners. But just like the Death March up north, the prisoners had to overcome overwhelming hardship and unbelievable cruelty. Decades later, its history has been overshadowed by its counterpart in Bataan. But the Iligan Death March too deserves to have its story told. Welcome to the Colonial Department. This is the podcast where we take long-lost stories from Philippine colonial history and bring them to life. In this episode, we shed light on a little-known episode from the war years, a forced march of prisoners of war captured in Mindanao. This is Season 5, Episode 5, The Death March Down South. So, you were on the Bataan Death March? No, I was on a death march in Mindanao. Mindanao, okay. We, we lost, there were 48 Americans, and uh, the, the man to my immediate right was uh, taken out of the column and executed. Why? Because he, he had been uh, cut up by the Moros. He had a bad slash on his right leg. And uh, he could just barely hobble. So they pulled him out and side of the road and shot him. That was the voice of Richard P. Beck, an American airman who became a prisoner of war in the Philippines for almost three years. After the war, he received the Purple Heart, which is a medal given to soldiers who had been wounded or killed in action. Beck also received Air Force Commendation Medals a Philippine Defense Medal, and a Philippine Liberation Medal. At the outbreak of the war, the highest-ranking American military officer in Mindanao was General William Sharp. When Bataan collapsed in 1942, Sharp and the rest of the Mindanao Command found themselves in a dilemma. They were prepared to hold the southern landmass fast 
as a last line of defense for the Philippines and as a base from which Allied Commander Douglas MacArthur could make his return. After all, they were already clashing with the Japanese troops who were swarming off beachheads and advancing to Lake Lanao and up the Bukidnon Plateau. But then, with Corregidor waving the white flag, skinny Jim Wainwright, leader of the besieged forces in Luzon, sent an order down south to William Sharp. Repeat, surrender all troops under your command both in Visayas and Mindanao. There must be on your part no thought of disregarding these instructions. Failure to fully and honestly carry them out can have only the most disastrous results. Wainwright's messenger told Sharp exactly what his boss meant by disastrous results. If he didn't surrender in Mindanao, the Japanese would kill all the soldiers who had just surrendered in Corridor. So on May 10, 1942, General Sharp gave the order, Lay down your arms. Surrender to the Japanese. Give up the defense of Mindanao. By July 1942, about 600 USAFI soldiers, Americans and Filipinos alike, were herded inside Camp Keithley in Dansalan, which we now call Marawi. They had become POWs, or prisoners of war. From Dansalan, their death march began, a long and difficult northward walk of almost 40 kilometers from the shores of Lake Lanao to the coast of Iligan Bay. And then, another journey by boat and truck to their ultimate destination, the prison camp in Kasisang, Bukidnon. Because their long walk began on July 4, the Japanese mockingly called it the Independence Day March. The Americans, many of them with shaved heads, were grouped together, four abreast, with telephone wire threaded through their belt loops. This cable wire would only be removed at mid-afternoon when the Japanese wanted the soldiers to walk a little faster. The Filipinos weren't tied up but had to do the entire death march barefoot. Trailing behind them was a truck full of Japanese soldiers with one mounted machine gun aimed squarely at the plodding column of men making their way under the corrosive heat of the sun. They let the prisoners rest for 10 minutes after every hour of walking. In court depositions, recorded interviews, and published memoirs, the survivors of the Iligan Death March narrate the atrocities inflicted on them by their captors throughout the march. The cruelty began even before the march did. One survivor nearly breaks out into tears when he recalls the execution of an American officer. They put Colonel Vichy up there, and they bayoneted him. Took him two and a half hours to die, and we and we stood there. Anyway, they took us. They took us on this march, and uh, Lieutenant Navin was badly wounded. Survivors also told of seeing their companions fall in exhaustion just hours into the march. Instead of giving them food and water to recover, the Japanese abandoned them and shot them in the forehead for good measure so that they wouldn't be able to join the guerrillas if ever they recovered. As the march went on, more and more were executed with a shot to the head 
like a medical officer or an American civilian who had the misfortune of being captured along with the soldiers. One marcher suspected that the Japanese executed Americans for one simple reason. They couldn't keep up. The Filipinos fared no better. Because they wore no boots or shoes, the ground tore their feet to pieces. Some were forced to get down on their bellies and crawl just to keep going. A Japanese soldier, tired of prodding one of the Filipinos to crawl faster, ran him through with a bayonet. More Filipinos were killed as the march progressed. When General Masaharu Homa was put on trial for war crimes committed during the occupation of the Philippines, prosecutors testified that during the death march from Dansalan to Iligan, said prisoners were not given food nor were permitted to drink water except from Carabao wallows, were beaten and bayoneted, resulting in the death of a number of said prisoners. And during said march, a Major Navins, an American officer with the 61st Philippine Army, was brutally shot and killed after he had collapsed from sunstroke. The prisoners took one entire day to march from Dansalan to Iligan. Exhausted beyond imagining, the marchers arrived at their destination at 7 o'clock in the evening and spent the night inside a small schoolhouse fronting the church. The Filipino captives packed the first floor while the Americans were forced upstairs, their cramped legs crying out in pain as they climbed the steps. The next day, they were loaded onto boats that took them to Cagayan de Oro. From there, they were loaded into trucks and driven up the highlands of Bukidnon, right into the heart of cowboy country. There, just south of the province's capital city, among the ranches and the plantations and the lowing herds of cattle, the captives were locked up inside their new home, the prison camp of Barrio Casisang. Here, the story takes an unexpected turn. The camp at Casisang eventually became the home of some 7,200 prisoners, American and Filipino alike. According to many of the people imprisoned there, it was a very special prison camp indeed because in Camp Casisang, the Japanese military apparently treated their captives with decency and humanity. Prisoners were allowed to leave the camp to bathe in the river or buy supplies in the town. The Japanese gave the soldiers free reign to build their own mess halls, field hospitals, basketball courts, baseball fields, and vegetable gardens. They supplied them with enough food for 18 meals a week. In an unexpected show of benevolence, the Japanese commander even gave the prisoners two radios so they could listen to music piped in from as far away as San Francisco. But even then, it was no utopia. The guards made an example of two Filipinos one of whom hadn't reported back in time for the scheduled prisoner headcount. The commander lined them up in front of an eight-man squad of guards. Lifting up his sword, he then cut the two men down before ordering the guards to fire shots into them. Even after this assault, the prisoners were still alive, screaming and writhing on the ground. A third gunshot volley finally ended their suffering. The other prisoners were forced to watch this grisly execution. Prisoners were soon rotated out of Casisang, to the Davao Penal Colony, for example, or to Bilibid Prison back in Manila. 
Some, like politician, general, and soon-to-be President Manuel Rojas, were even released back to their families. Within the year after the Iligan Death March, only a skeleton crew of guards and captives remained. Then, in January 1943, 2,000 bukid non-guerrillas, made up of soldiers, cowboys, tribesmen, and ranchers, laid siege to the camp. Outnumbered and outgunned, the Japanese released the remaining POWs. The prison camp had fallen, but the fight to take back Bukidnon wasn't over yet. Over the next two years, vicious fighting went on in the highlands. Seven months after MacArthur landed in Leyte, the Japanese were still fighting tooth and nail to hold on to Bukidnon. And even when the atom bombs fell on Japan and the empire sued for peace, more than 8,000 Japanese fighters remained across central and eastern Mindanao, melting away into the mountains, many of them never to be seen again. Meanwhile, those who survived the Iligan Death March and the fury of World War II returned to their homes. Their stories were forgotten. Their scars remained. It was a 40-kilometer march. It took us uh, eight hours. There were about 500 Filipinos marching ahead of us, and there were any number of them taken out and executed. I don't remember how many. Well, if they'd shoot you for not keeping up, I guess they weren't worried about feeding you. That's right. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Colonial Department. Find us on Instagram and TikTok for more history, behind-the-scenes, and non-fiction book recommendations. If you want to know more about one of the war criminals convicted in the World War II tribunals, check out Season 4, Episode 13, Tour de Tojo. Leo Mangubat wrote, narrated, and produced this episode. Anya Ong Reyes read quotations from sources. Audio of the World War II veterans comes from the Disabled American Veterans YouTube channel, the U.S. Library of Congress, and the National World War II Museum. References include 1. An Oral History of Richard P. Beck and a Memoir of Frederick Marion Fullerton, both preserved in the U.S. Library of Congress, as well as an oral interview with Benjamin Hagens, preserved in the digital collections of the National World War II Museum. 2. A paper by Robert John Donessa entitled The Mindanao Death March, Establishing Historical Fact Through Online Research. 3. The 2009 book, People of the Middle Ground, A Century of Conflict in Central Mindanao, 1880s to 1980s, by Ronald K. Edgerton. 4. An interview with Rodrigo Y. Dumaug Jr., hosted by the Congressional Office of Iligan City. <laughs>